Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to podcast. <laughs> that was you're unsettlingly well, serene. Well, hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999, the go. podcast where we talk about the movies of 1999. I am Kenny Nybart. You're very NPR tonight. Um, well, I'm trying to strike the right balance for this disclaimer. I'm trying to say, you know, you, you don't want to get too excited when you're saying, hey, so. Um, We're covering record- a kind of fucked up movie. Yeah, well, it's not the movie that's I know, fucked up, I know. but the fucking energy around it is now. It's not, so it's kind of gross now. As you can see, and as you I'm know, I'm Phil Iscove, by the I'm way. I'm Kenny sorry. Nybar. That's Phil Iscove. Yeah. As you know, uh, because you. Clicked Follow, on this link yeah, and you, you, know this this, you know what Follow movie Phil we're covering. On Instagram. Yeah. Um, we're covering American Beauty. Um, American Beauty is, is a movie from 1999. It's the movie of 1999 as Arguably. decided by the Academy. and It's true. And, um, and quite frankly, by us. Definitely. Um, it was, if we're being honest, it was our first pick to be our first movie. Yeah. Uh, we recorded that episode. Uh, we felt really confident about it. It was um, the only choice. It felt the like time. the only choice at the time. And then uh, Kevin Spacey was revealed to be a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and we felt it it was best if we push it uh, a little bit. And uh, we then picked Eyes Wide Shut, which we're very happy with, which, which is, I think was a, a great episode. And we're happy that we did it first. But um, yeah, so here we are. With a tricky movie, but, uh, you know, I yeah. think we did a good job. It's, it's, you know, what we kind of wanted to present right now are our unfiltered and unbiased opinions on this movie yeah. before this movie became almost... Synonymous. Well, yeah, it's well, almost synonymous. I was going to say almost unanalyzable right now. We watched it through a prism yeah. post Harvey Weinstein pre-Kevin Spacey. Which was mentioned. Which was mentioned. Yeah. Um, and we, we certainly... I think we uh, analyzed the film through the lens of a post-Harvey Weinstein post sort of all of these sexual allegations. Um, we just at the time didn't know about the Kevin Spacey ones. So we felt it was necessary to sort of give a bit of a disclaimer about that. But it's a great episode about a very controversial movie now, mm-hmm. then, forever. 
um, a movie that in many ways will always define 1999. And uh, we thought it would be unfair to try to watch it through a different lens post Kevin Spacey right. and to try to reanalyze it. So we felt like this is a fair uh, assessment of the yeah. film. We're going to have to do that with the big kahuna. So Fuck. pray for us. The big kahuna. <laughs> uh, well, this is American Beauty and we hope that you enjoy it. So uh, let's – I'm trying to think like how to even – Start this. Well, I'll say one thing. As these things go on podcasts like the one we're on, yeah. we have not talked about this We've not at all. Uh, a couple texts, but nothing, nothing significant. I don't even know if you like. I don't even know if you liked the movie before, and if you like the movie now. But what okay. I, what I'll say for myself is, people that know me know I loved this movie when it came out. So the, I mean. the first thing I wrote. As I started watching the movie on my notes, <laughs> yes. was it's going to take a lot for me not to love this movie. Interesting, Be- because Interesting. I loved this movie. I like, I yeah. did. I, I and and yeah. not only that, I I sensed that it would not age well. Did you really? Well, at the moment, like when you were seeing, no, it no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. I sensed watching it now that okay. it would not age well because of the subject matter. Because of the subject matter in our in our, in our time, we our moment, touched on that a little bit, a little bit. So, but I think before we before we talk about the the, the elephant in the room, if you will, mm-hmm. because we are at a very interesting moment in history. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on that we're obviously going to dive into. But just to sort of tee this up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I think it's worth noting that there were a lot of films that came out in '99. Uh, that were about sort of like instructing their audience to live more meaningful lives, if you will. I felt mm-hmm. like Fight Club, Bringing Out the Dead, Magnolia, American Beauty are all films that are sort of geared towards this sort of be better people sort of yeah. thing. Um, I also think that it, it it sort of explores the idea of masculinity in crisis. I mm-hmm. think that there's sort of a moment there where you're seeing a lot of beta male characters coming to the forefront that don't that are not sort of overtly alpha male characters, which I think is also an interesting thing. I also have a quote here from Alan Ball as he was talking about um, as he was writing this this screenplay. Um, I think I was writing about how it's become harder and harder to live an authentic life when we live in a world that seems to focus on appearance. For all the differences between now and the 1950s, in a lot of ways, this is just as oppressively conformist a time. You see many people who strive to live the authentic life, and then they get there and they wonder why they're not happy. I didn't realize it when I sat down to write American Beauty, but these ideas are important to me. That quote could have been about Fight Club, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought thought about Fight Club a lot Mm -hmm. while watching this movie. Mm -hmm. And not to just compare the two. Sure. But I strongly preferred American Beauty at the time. Mm-hmm. I strongly prefer Fight Club today. Interesting. And I think interesting. And okay. I and I and I think we'll get into that more we as will. we go. But I, I think they're very very different movies. I, I understand why you're making the comparison, and it's not yeah. an unreasonable one. They're both about masculinity and crisis, and they're both about com- kind of consumer the consumerism out of control of the of the moment. Yes. Yes. And yes. They, they have. In my opinion, very different conclusions about how to fight that um, or okay. not to. Okay. Um, and I don't want to make this a yeah, American Beauty versus, versus Fight Club. No, fight I get Club, that. Yeah. but I would also but, say that but, Fight Club is also about sort of um, anti-establishmentarianism, and I wouldn't necessarily. That's, I mean, that's the longest word. 
<laughs> We're done. A lot of um, a lot of a lot of little words. Learn how to spell that word. But it is very much that. I mean, I think that Lester is definitely anti-establishment. He's definitely guys railing against the system. He's railing against his marriage. He's railing against a lot of things. But it, it, it's he's not Tyler Durden. And I, I think that you know, what I mean, Tyler Durden. Well, is, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't get there. He didn't, well, no, he didn't get yeah. broken. So uh, there's no Tyler Durden. That's, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 not to fair. give away Fight Club. There's no Tyler Durden, Spoiler. right? He's not Spoiler. Edward Norton, yeah. whatever his character. I can't believe I can't remember. But he doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a name. He does not have a name. Well, That's there you go. intentional. So he's not Edward. Right. He's not <clears throat> Edward Norton. Edward Norton was broken. Like, Lester really wasn't he broken. He was pretty fucking close to broken. getting fixed. That's the – so here we go. That's the thing about American <laughs> Beauty that, that yeah. was difficult, and I don't want to, like, talk about – I want to talk about this movie kind of in depth because um, I don't want to talk about how like just the problems, and I don't mean like the like the story problems, the yes. structure problems. I mean the sure. how the problematic nature of of this movie at this point mm. in time. But well, we'll get into that. For this sure. was about fixing a broken man, and the yes. prescription for fixing this broken man it's having sex with a teenager, among other things, <laughs> among other things. Apparently, that's smoking pot. And I, look, sure, getting a shitty job. Believe I mean, me, is, I'm this down. This is more about like regression of Revert, youth. Yes, I mean, regret. reverting back to, totally. to to a youthful time. So, I mean, I don't, I don't even think that Lester thinks of himself as a forty-something-year-old man as he's pursuing Angela in a weird way. Um, but let's talk about. Do you remember uh, the first time you saw it? Do you remember? No, vaguely. I mean, I, you know, it was obviously 1999, and I remember where I remember where I sat in the theater. Yeah, I do remember seeing it. I do remember thinking it was the most fucking revolutionary thing I'd ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I remember being really blown away by it. And I, I remember thinking like, "Wow, I just saw something seismic." I th- and I was thinking but, about that too when I was watching it. The question for me was, why did I think this was so great? And I think the main reason mm-hmm. was it felt like it was telling me mm-hmm. the truth about growing up. Mm-hmm. That most movies Don't. didn't tell me. Sure, sure. This is what it's really like. You hate your wife. You're unhappy with your kid. You hate your job. Like, yeah. P.S. Like, everyone cheats. P.S. Grown up smoke pot. P.S. Like, yeah. all this dark shit yeah. that I totally believed. But I was. But okay. I would also say, too, couched in a really funny movie. Like, I think that people is forget funny. how fucking yeah. funny it is. Like, it's droll and it's dark. And it, it certainly works because of Kevin Spacey's biting delivery. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things there. But this is a – it's a really funny movie. Like, I was watching again being like, god damn, like, this movie's got some great laughs in it. One of my favorite scenes in that movie mm. is right in the beginning yeah. when he's walking out and he throws his hands and he, <laughs> the suitcase opens. I mean, the briefcase opens <laughs> – I remember that. I remember that moment in the theater, and I remember yeah. I rule in the theater, and I thought those were the funniest things. The I thought, I rule, that's what I was like. The I rule doesn't work as well now. Play that well now, well, but I remember fucking loving it in the theater. I loved it in the moment because that's so. That's the trick. You're also of American naming two. Um, one's a reshoot, and one's a uh, an improvised thing. I rules an improvised, right? Yeah. Well, the the mechanical car and that that yeah. beat with that, and that bending. I mean, it's 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 really interesting too. I remember seeing the film. I remember it was at TIFF. It was at the Toronto International Film Festival. And I didn't get to see it at TIFF, but they did some sort of like peripheral screenings of it in theaters around the city. And I remember seeing it. And I remember the theater very, very specifically, uh, the Silver City uh, in Toronto at Young and Eglinton. Um, and I remember sitting there with friends, film school friends. We were all in film school when it came out. And 
really being taken by it because it felt so right then. Like, it just felt like it was on the fucking pulse. Like, it mm-hmm. felt like it was yeah. a movie that was speaking to that moment, which is probably why it doesn't date so well. Like, there's definitely some stuff in it that, that is a little bit 99 rather than 2017. And we'll get into some of those things um, in, in more detail. But I would also like to say, too, like, my love for this movie also feels like it's uh, retroactive because of my love for Six Feet Under. Um, which is arguably my favorite show ever. And it couldn't exist without American Beauty. And there's so much, there's so many vestiges and things that Alan Ball runs with from American Beauty. Um, the magic realism is so much more distinct. There's a lot of Nate Fisher in Lester Burnham. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff there that that makes my love for the movie also hold that much more. So let's talk about something I didn't necessarily expect. Mm. You like this movie still. Yeah. I, I mean, I have problems with the thing we're about to discuss. I have problems with it. Um, I would also say too that I like it more. Th- I li- so I like it more than I thought I would. Okay. I like it less than I did as a. I, I like it less than I did, back but then, for sure, I see. I see its faults now. I didn't see them back then. I was nineteen years old. It holds up so much better than I thought it would. Yeah, um, it does that said, like problematic? It, why texted this to you too? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's it really only could have come out and had the impact had the impact it had it had. In mm-hmm. one moment yeah. in time, mm-hmm. everything like it that came after it yeah. was garbage. Yeah. Um, and the only things that are like it that came after that worked were in TV, like Six yeah. Feet Under. Yeah. So it owes a lot to a lot of movies before it. And even a movie that came out that we both loved that came out two years previous, I believe, which mm-hmm. is The Ice Storm, Ang Lee's movie. I love the Ice Storm. Which is a fucking great movie. Yeah. And I think that that movie should have been bigger and had it been bigger i don't necessarily think we would have got american beauty in the same to mm-hmm. the same extent um but it owes a lot the the, the family dynamics in that very movie similar have a lot of similarities it's funny i mean it's it's funny i i, I love the eye storm i hold it in an extremely high regard that so movie speaks to me in the same way mm-hmm. i guess i saw that when i was 15 but that was another things are a little darker with your parents than you think they are also a movie that holds up better than american so beauty. much better but maybe because it's period Maybe. I you think know? also, I mean, I think that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of Sam Mendez's style, which started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this was his first movie. So there's a lot of, it's a very precise movie. It's a very sort of, there's there's a lot of. How many good Sam Mendes movies do you think there are? In him or in the world as we that speak? That he's done. Um, I mean, I just rewatched Road to Perdition, actually, which I was surprised. Surprised. I liked it a lot more now, really? which at the time I was like, this movie, Tom Hanks is miscast. And then rewatching, I was like, hmm, maybe it's maybe, good. Maybe not. I, I only saw it the one time in the theater. I thought it was the worst, but <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> I, I want to go on record and say it's not the worst. I will also say that uh, I think Skyfall is great. That's the only other Sam Mendes movie I will ride for. Um, so I agree with you on that. For. I mean, uh, he's he's an interesting filmmaker. I think Revolutionary Road is uh, might be one of the most boring it's movies. Super boring movie with two of the biggest movie stars. But I mean, anyway, this is I don't want to get off track. But um, why don't we just dive into the elephant in the room? He did Jarhead. Yeah, he did Jarhead. I saw it in the theater. I actually like that movie. It's yeah, really. I do. I think it's a it's a weird movie. What year was that? Two thousand five. We'll get to that in. You know, in like 10, 10 years. years. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I want to say that. So the elephant in the room, just to be more specific, uh, is the fact that it seems like this movie is making us root for Lester to have sex with a teenager. Um, at the same time, I also wonder 
if it's also saying how fucking gross it is. Like, I'm not sure that this movie isn't committing to... I don't think it's committing to one side or, or the other about this about this man and what he's doing and why he's doing it. I mean, I know that Alan Ball in the first draft had him actually have sex with her, mm -hmm. which is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, listen, I mean, which I think would have been, would have been a bolder choice. It definitely would have been a bolder choice. I, think, I don't think that people would have liked him at the end of the movie is the problem, which is why I you think they should have done it. Yeah. That, yeah. Would you, yeah so I, that's, that's exactly, that's, that's, that, that's my whole, problem with this movie <laughs> that, that's yeah, it no, it's, 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 it's lester's arc and the way the movie treated lester now yeah there are little things and and i just you know i guess i picked up on this about a third of the way through the movie and i started really paying attention to it but okay the movie's so terrible to carolyn yes and she's the villain and she gets virtually she gets virtually uh yeah. no sympathy and here's an example, for instance. Okay, we can talk about he, this. She, sure. So, um, right after, right after, I, I can't remember exactly what happened before she goes into Jane's room, and she fights her and she slaps her, and she leaves, mm -hmm. and the camera stays with Jane for Jane's reaction. Yeah. So Carol is your your monster, all right? Yeah. yeah. Now, when Lester says something mean to Jane, yeah, in a few scenes later, yeah, I forgot what he said, but he said something mean to Jane. She leaves and we stay with Lester yeah. and Lester says, fuck. And we get to see his regret. Yeah. It's the same fucking shit, but we get to stick with Lester and get his regret. So we're with him. It's to me, and I, I to me, that's it. manipulative bullshit in, in, in an attempt to humanize this guy who is, yeah. who is the whole, the, the entire movie to me. Yeah. He's treating everybody around him like shit. Yeah. Um, he's kind of usurping his responsibilities in every way. Yeah. And did I say usurping? You said usurping. What's the right word? Yeah. No, usurping it's really is usurping. A it's it's uh disregarding. Yeah, yeah, it's throwing away his yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's disregarding his responsibilities in every way. Mm -hmm. Um and we're supposed and we're supposed to be upset <laughs> when he gets shot at the end. But and I'm not saying I'm happy when yeah. he gets shot at the end, but I don't feel like he learned the lesson. What? Okay. What? Like, what no, is what the lesson that he learned at the end that we're supposed to say? Okay, now we love you. And no, I don't. I mean, first of all, I think it should be said that we are we are talking about a movie that, um, a script that was shot differently, scenes that were cut out of it, an ending that wasn't necessarily. Uh, it's, it's original intention, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about the development uh, of the movie a little bit, sure. just in terms of, it was originally bookended with, uh, Ricky and Jane on trial for the murder of, of Lester. Yeah. Um, so that opening is a vestige of that, um, which is a very, very different movie. So you, the opening scene, the opening scene, sorry, is, is Jane being videotaped by Ricky saying, my dad's fucking gross. Um, and then he says, do you want me to kill he's him for you? He's a horny geek boy. He's a horny geek boy. He sprays his shorts. He's going to spray his shorts. Because anyone has ever used words like that. I, I don't even think that. they used them in 99. No, that was... Horny geek boy? He's like, just a horny geek boy. He's going to spray his shorts every time I bring a girlfriend over. Um, so she asks... <laughs> I don't know about that one, but you know. <laughs> so she, she asks... Uh, so Ricky says, do you want me to kill him? And she says, yes. Yeah. 
and then the title comes up and you're like, oh fuck, right? And and it's and you do not think it's a joke. Later, when you see the scene play out, you realize that she's just fucking around and he's maybe just fucking around. But it's it's just done in a way that mm-hmm. is a lot. Um, so uh, this is a long way of saying that the end of this movie, to your point about whether we're supposed to feel good or bad or like him or not like him, on some level, this script and this movie was a was. As Alan Ball has said, loosely kind of inspired by the Amy Fisher, Joey Betafuco situation, and that it was really more of a sort of scandalous, salacious sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it turned into, through, I'm assuming, Sam Mendes' vision of the movie, into much more of a uh, the apartment sort of situation of mm-hmm. a sort of like a sad sack dude who, you know, has lost control of his life and this, that, and whatever. Um, so this is all a long way of saying that. I don't necessarily know that they want us to feel bad for him at the end because the script didn't really commit one way or the other to that notion originally. Mm -hmm. Like it's just – no, maybe we know too much and maybe we should be just judging the film based on the film itself and not on the other things that that came into play. But I'm just wondering whether or not we should at least say that the intentions for this film were different and they were found – through production that's, that's obviously it. true, but also as you kind of, it doesn't saying, matter. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it is. No, no, it's not irrelevant because this is the fun of talking about yes, movies, but, but it's irrelevant. But it is irrelevant to, yeah. to, to how I feel. And honestly, that's not super important to me anyway, whether right, or not right. I like this guy. Right. It's just whether or not the story works. Sure. And planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, why don't why don't I read some quotes from the Roger Ebert review? Yeah, that's because I feel like this review. I mean, first of all, let me be clear. I love Roger Ebert. I think he's great. I mean, sometimes I don't agree with him, but I thought he was a tremendous film critic. Nobody is more responsible for me loving movies than Roger. I, I would. I would actually agree with you yeah he's, no, definitely, I, he's definitely up there so i have i have all so the love in the world i have him. three quotes that i'm going to read from this review that i think exemplify your feelings and my feelings to a certain extent of what we're talking about um in the review he says is it wrong for a man in his 40s to lust after a teenage girl any honest man understands what a complicated question this is wrong morally certainly and legally but as every woman knows men are born with wiring that goes directly from their eyes to their genitals bypassing the higher centers of thought they can disapprove of their thoughts but they cannot stop themselves from having them should we talk about each yeah. quote let's yeah. talk let's about talk this about one. let's unpack this shall we well this is this is the crux of your argument i think it, i don't even <clears throat> know so this is 
at the time yeah. in 1999, yeah. there was nothing controversial about that which statement. Which is crazy to think about. Well, which is just the way, right? Yeah, just today. You couldn't write that in a review. You couldn't and probably wouldn't. I agree. You know, it's not even like so. That's that's a big difference between today and 18 years ago. Yeah. That a the, the world's leading critic yeah. and and who who's who's well respected by everybody. Yeah. Could put that out there as fact and have nobody question it. And in fact, like hold it up as a reason for why this movie is brilliant. Sure. Which is another interesting conversation. Can you even make a movie today about this kind of thing, which frankly, like I I don't agree with it. I don't think you agree with it. But can you even make this argument in film anymore? I mean – I mean, I think, excuse me, I think that part of what we're also talking about a little bit is the world that we live in right now. We are currently in the midst of a tidal wave of sexual harassment lawsuits that are happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, rightfully so. These are all terrible people. Mm -hmm. And and I think that they should all, you know, have to have consequences for their actions. Uh, So this movie is very interesting to talk about right now in this moment. Totally. Um, And I think that... You know, I, I don't know if you could make this movie right now or without being a little bit more conscientious about what you're making. I think at the time they thought what they were doing was, you know, was okay. I mean, I don't think that they felt as though they were – I think the statement and the progressiveness of the movie, they felt good about it. So, all right. I agree with you. I, th- I think what I think what, what they thought and what people thought and the reason why it was so mm-hmm. well regarded and the reason yeah. why it won the Oscar. Yeah. Is because Roger Ebert and I think a lot of critics are trying to say that this is just a fact. It's been hidden. Yeah. No one's talking about it. Yeah. But it's a fact. Yeah, um, it, it does say it in a very – Yeah. And, 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 and I think a lot of people were trying to make that argument that, that, that this is the way men are. Yeah. This is the way men are wired. Yeah. Um, and and we're going we're gonna to acknowledge that yeah. and then yeah. – Comment, analyze, sure, um, unpack, etc. Sure, dissect. Um, but I think yeah. the, I, I do think a lot of people feel the, feel that that's true. Yeah, but also that that's a very dark side of men at this point. I mean, this it, this movie is very Lolita. I mean, there's definitely a Lolita element to this. I mean, a a book and a movie that was mm-hmm. made and and a movie that was made twice. And and I think that um, there is something to be said for carnal desires and whether or not it's worth exploring, which I think that it is like, I I don't, I don't wish that this movie didn't exist. Obviously I love this movie. Not saying that at all. And I, and I don't necessarily know that I wouldn't want somebody to make a movie today about this subject matter. I just wonder whether or not this was done with the acknowledgement that this is kind of gross. Like I think at the time it, they didn't, necessarily do that oh i think all right so i i i think they did i think the okay. idea that if if it, if, if maybe the, i mean yeah if, if it wasn't kind of gross then he would do it out in the open he wouldn't be he wouldn't be shamed right yeah sure, sure 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 so sure. i do think that that was clear that it was kind of gross um and obviously there's all these masturbatory fantasies so like the, uh, yeah i was gonna you go yeah. ahead I'll, I'll, I'll no there are all these masturbatory fantasies so that's you know that's happening inside Lester's head. Yeah. What, what I'm really trying to, to say is not so much like 
could someone – I want people to make movies about whatever they want to. I yeah, want people to make whatever arguments they want to sure. and I want to you know, engage with those mm-hmm. on their face. I don't know if someone would want to make this movie. I don't – like I, I, I don't know if the people who make movies today mm-hmm. hold this opinion that this is – yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah. that, that this is a, a kind of a universal, secret, carnal desire, and it's not. She's not even like she's fourteen. Like I think they're. Is she fourteen? No, she's not. That's okay. the point. Like okay. they make a point of saying Ricky is eighteen. Yeah. So my guess is she's seventeen, 17 or eighteen. Like they're kind of making a point of like this isn't yeah. illegal. Well, but I think we're. I and, think, I, and I don't. Uh, here's what I'll say. I mean, I think that um, I would actually be. Very interested to see a film like this written and directed by a female. Mm -hmm. I think that part of what this movie struggles with is the male gaze thing, which is definitely part of it. Totally. Um, And and in a lot of ways, that speaks to my Carolyn is evil and Lester is a hero. Yes, absolutely. I think also the the, the magic realism elements of this, the – which is a hallmark of Alan Ball's work in a lot of ways, um, I think – is also an interesting way of exploring this stuff in a way that makes it more uh, psychological and a little less tactile and a little less like it's actually happening. Now, admittedly, it does happen in the end of the movie um, or comes close to happening. But to sort of get inside this guy's head and to sort of feel this longing, there's a shot in this movie that I think sums up the entire film for me. And it's it's I still think it might be my favorite shot in the film. It's near the end of the film. Spoiler, we're going to talk about this movie in out of order, I imagine. But Literally every human who will ever listen to this podcast has seen this movie. Sure, sure. So <laughs> The end of the movie, Chris Cooper shows up in his garage and right, bef- that shot right before he kisses him, he grabs his back yeah, his and, there's, and his skin. Yeah. And you have the red light coming off of it, the red light, which is in, you know, obviously a hallmark in this film. And to me, that sums up the whole fucking movie. Like, it's just a human contact, a desire to connect with people, a lust, a carnal desire. It's just that's the whole thing. So, yes, this one lane of the film we take issue with, and it is unfortunately problematic in now. But I would also say that it is part and parcel of a much bigger thematic thing, which they're talking about in this film. And in that regard, I think it's trying to do a bunch of things, which I think is worthwhile. I want to make one more point about the Manasubari stuff. But I – We do need to get into the plot of this. We we could pivot to whatever we want, but the Chris Cooper thing is interesting to me as well Mm -hmm. today. (laughs) Sure. My favorite scene – so this is this is. I'll tell you what my favorite scene is, but you tell me. But that's my favorite shot. So and 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 my that distinction. And 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 I, and I I didn't think you were going to say that shot, but I love Chris Cooper in the rain with that oh per, that that perfect the like yeah the garage door that opens as one yeah. pane as as kind of one plank. Yeah. So all the all rain trips down at the end. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully shot movie. It I mean, is well deserving award for for best cinematography. So. Uh, I love that scene. I, 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 it's a weird scene. It's weird to say after everything I've said. I love the scene when they, Kevin Spacey and Minnesota actually get together. Okay. I love that song. I think it's one of the greatest Apparently songs. Apparently, Minnesota is a really big fan of Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox. <laughs> I'm sure. It, well, it's Annie, it's Annie Lennox. It's, uh, you know, it's a uh, Neil Young cover. It's a cover, yeah. Um, 
It's so perfect. It was perfect. It's it's, just, it's yeah. powerful. There's that bass. Yeah. It's a synth. It's 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 beautiful, and it's weird. It's a weird way. It's a weird way to present that that climax. No pun. It's a weird way to present that climax because it is so lush. It is so romantic. It is yes. such a beautiful shot. It is they're framed by that window. It's almost matrimonial. Yeah. Um he, it is. And, and predatorial when he offers predatorial. Her a beer. Yeah. Moving on. That was that was a callback to 1999. That was that was a landline. <laughs> like, is this landline a landline phone? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, <laughs> but it's it is. It's almost predatorial. That would with, with the be definitely predatorial. Definitely predatorial. And then and then uh, and then the scene goes off the rails for me when she says she's a virgin and and for whatever reason like that. That sobers. It's up. not as if she was telling him that she's been screwing around all movie. So, I mean, she said it to other people. So that's so we know that she's been lying to other people. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, we're, we're gonna. I, isn't I her virginity kind of what he wanted? Isn't that what? Isn't that what attracted I her to him? Don't think that's oh, her youth. I don't know necessarily yeah, her virginity. I mean, I will say that ideas. I, I want to kind of and we'll as we get deeper into the film. I want to talk about Angela's character, which I actually think is Mina Savari is the secret MVP of this movie. I think. I think she's really good in this film and does a, a bunch of really interesting things. And we'll get into that. I think she was fantastic. And I think that the turn she takes in terms of maturity and then bounce, she bounces around a lot in terms of what she's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I actually think she's potentially more interesting than Ricky and Jane are in terms of the, the it's not even a question in terms of the character arc and in terms of what they're so they Rick, don't, I mean they, Ricky's interesting Rick, that, right. Rick, a very unusual character we'll, we'll, but, t- we'll talk about, but I do think that Mina's character totally. I think that Angela's character could have played incredibly one note and and was written with a depth and with with a whole bunch of interesting mechanics that that give her validity so that it doesn't feel like she's just some really hot young girl that he wants to have sex with Anyway, continue. No, she was a super interesting casting choice too, yeah. because uh, this matters in this movie. Absolutely, she's not actually the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. No, so I mean, she's very pretty. Well, but, she's beautiful, but, sure. but 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 she's not. Yes, yes. But there, but but that that enhances mm-hmm. um, the moment. It enhances sure. Lester's lust for this particular girl. He's obviously seen Jane's friends his whole life, but sure. it's not as if he's. It's not as if he's going for the head cheerleader. Obviously, she like is literally the head cheerleader in this movie, but it's not sure. as if he, sure. or or a particularly mature girl. She's sure. she's specific, and I think that's interesting. She well, let's you know this is a good opportunity to talk about the casting a little bit mm-hmm. because I feel like um, this was a movie that uh, so Alan Ball writes this script on spec because he doesn't at the time he needed a new piece of material. His agent said. So he writes this script, whatever it gets, it somehow gets to DreamWorks. Uh, there's a bidding sort of situation for it. They buy it outright. Um, and at this point, DreamWorks is still relatively fledgling. Totally. I mean, they're, they're a relatively small studio at this point. They're still trying to get their sea legs. And they, they just got beat for the Oscar the year before. Did they? Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. So like it's – I mean fledgling might not be the right word for it, but they're in their no, early no, days. They, definitely. I think yeah. the first movie came out in 97. Yeah. So like, Peacemaker. Yeah. Saw it in the theater. So I think that – It wasn't very good. It is very – yeah. It's not good. Um, so anyway, long story short, Spielberg reads the script, loves it. They buy it, blah, blah, blah. 
now they saw this as probably a bigger movie, right? They went to A-list directors. They went to A-list talent mm-hmm. because they thought they had something really interesting. Um, if any of those things had come to fruition, this film would not exist in the form that we see it right now for a myriad of reasons. But just talking about the casting of Lester, for instance, a couple names that were bandied about or people that were offered the role. Chevy Chase and Tom Hanks were offered this role. Wow. Uh, Kevin Costner, Jeff Daniels, Woody Harrelson, John Travolta, Bruce Willis were all considered for this role. Now, some of these names are absolute fucking bonkers. I mean, John Travolta is – that's an insane choice for Lester Burnham. I can't really even visualize that. Um, there's a world where I can kind of see Tom Hanks. Out of that list, Hanks is the one. Right, right? And not just because he's Tom Hanks but because like he's an everyman and it feels that it could – there's plausibility maybe to that. But again – this movie was never going to have Tom Hanks. Spacey was perfect. Perfect. But he's perfect because it's, I think Spacey is the, the curse and the blessing of this movie in terms of how it's dated. Okay. And I say that in the sense that he's perfect because as I mentioned, his, his delivery is perfect. Uh, his, there's a sexual ambiguity to, to Kevin Spacey. That's perfect in terms of the reveal with the Chris Mm -hmm. Cooper thing. Like there's stuff in there that makes you go like, okay, I, I buy this. Whereas I'm not sure I'd necessarily buy it with some of these names that, that were thrown around. Um, but I also think that the the plethora of roles that he has played since, most of them being fucking creeps or like Frank Underwood, mm-hmm. makes me watch this movie now and have so much more of a creepy vibe to Kevin Spacey that I didn't have you should have had as much as much of. He was verbal kint. And he was John Doe. And he was John Doe. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying to the same extent. Anyway, I, he was great in it, but I just, I, you know. So, yeah, that's that's another element of this movie because at, at weirdly, at the time, mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey was my favorite actor, period. And I can, Seriously? I can substantiate that because I – The because, ref? You just fucking loved the ref? No, like, I, lo- I loved – I loved Usual Suspects. Okay. Um, more than life. I loved Seven more than life. And I loved Glengarry Glenn Ross. He's great in that. Um, He's great in Usual Suspects and Seven as well. I know. And there's another movie. So, so and I, the, the, how I will substantiate it, sure. I, I had to do a project in my film class, uh-huh. which was uh, either sophomore, junior year, so 98 or 99. And uh-huh. I did it on Kevin Spacey. He was my favorite actor. Period. Okay. He's so the, I would have seen anything this guy did. Okay. And he's um, great in it. I, I'm just – I'm saying that He's no longer my favorite actor, but – Yeah, no, I would have But I, would I Yeah, and I, I think he's exceptional. Just made some interesting I think choices. he's exceptional in it. I think it's – No, I think The way he goes from slouched over loser sure, sure, sure. to con- – He's so sure. much more confident. And you can see it. Absolutely. In the way him and Manu Zavari play the power dynamics in the early scenes versus, yeah. the, late, versus the later scenes, sure. it's remarkable. I'm. I'm not. Our, I'm. I'm just. He, I think it's a great performance. There, I'm yeah. merely speaking of the fact that it was an interesting choice at the time. It's an interesting choice now, mm-hmm. and I think that 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 his career since makes this role a little ickier. Um, some other casting, just to sort of throw that out there. Uh, Holly Hunter and Helen Hunt were considered for the role of Carolyn. Uh, in terms of... They both would have been good. They both would have been good. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Seth Green for Ricky Fitz, Whatever. I think, is, is bizarre. Any, well, I mean, Seth Green Jake, is bizarre. Yes, Jake Green. Gyllenhaal is... I mean, sure. Wes Bentley is... Poor is, man's Jake Gyllenhaal. So... <laughs> um, Love you, Wes. Kirsten Dunst, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Brittany Murphy, Katie Holmes were all considered for Angela, but I guess they uh, were all offered it, sorry, and turned it down. Yeah. 
Um, you can and see then, why. Uh, you can see why. Jessica Biel was originally cast as Jane Burnham, had to drop out due to conflicts with Seventh Heaven, which is interesting. He had already done LA Confidential and The Negotiator too. He really was killing it. Go ahead. I, I get it. You fucking love Kevin Spacey. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, LA Confidential, he's so good. He was a villain. You're right. He's it, fucking great in LA Confidential. It's I, so weird you didn't think he was a creep. The only movie that he's ever done <laughs> before this where he wasn't creepy. Are you swimming with sharks? The only movie he ever did before that said he was. Midnight in the Garden of Good, good and Evil. Like, this guy was only only played creeps. Was the negotiator. And they were playing. Okay. They, were, they were playing I, against type. I can't, I can't dispute Sorry. that. You're right. Go. He's a fucking creep. And it's a weird choice. But he was great in the movie. And he continued to be a creep oh, for, the, for the 20-something years after that. Um, anyway, those are some casting things. The other thing that I learned, which I think is fucking amazing, is that Terry Gilliam turned down the chance to direct this movie. Yeah. I don't know what that movie is. It's interesting. I, and I say the only reason that it's not the most fucking gonzo choice is The Fisher King is a great movie mm-hmm. that has elements of Terry Gilliam, Gilliam in it, but like isn't full Terry Gilliam, which maybe American Beauty could somehow have been. I don't know. I still think it's a crazy choice. And I don't. I mean, he feels like a guy that gets offered everything and then just turns everything. Yeah. But it was just sort of the one director that I read that was like, all right. I mean, I guess that's anyway. Well, let's talk a little bit about the direction because. Sure. um, Let's. Because there there were choices made in this movie Mm -hmm. that took this from, I think, what what could have easily been a a flat domestic drama and made it iconic. Yes. The voiceover was very smart. The voiceover from beyond, the mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard voiceover yeah, it's great. was cool. Yes. The way they opened the movie, flying over that, the the, the shot flying over. But you know what that shot was, right? Did well, you know it was Sacramento. That? Is that what you're... No, no. It was, I guess the movie was originally, and this is insane. It was originally going to open with Kevin Spacey Fly. flying Thank God over. they lost that, yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? So they obviously just... What was that just... movie that did that? Was that a, like know. Grand Canyon? It's it's oh, it's, like, it's a bad I mean, look. Like that fake Superman shit. It's I a bad even look. Imagine. If that was the first shot of this movie, this movie's done. But it wasn't. <laughs> Just, it wasn't. It was it, it was. it was. It was bird's eye view, and it was lovely. And the Thomas Newman score, iconic, 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 yeah, iconic. So many, so many movies and TV shows yeah. stole from that. I mean, yeah. you know what's incredibly influenced by this? Desperate Housewives. Desperate oh, yeah. Housewives is basically absolutely. this, absolutely. Um, which totally. is, which is, in my opinion, an incredibly underrated, weirdly forgotten show. I mean, season first, one, which I, first, first season is fantastic. Yeah, an important show. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's. Um, we should also talk very briefly that John Cho is in this movie. John Cho's in every movie. John, John Cho was in, in every movie from 1999, uh, and he uh, has no lines and no. just looks weird. Um, uh, but yeah, he is in this. I, I so here's a question for you: Is Ricky a sociopath or is he just really confident? I don't know. I mean, because <laughs> like, I'm watching this again, thinking like. The delivery's weird, and the mm-hmm. things he's definitely doing some weird shit. But I'm also like, this kid's got balls. Like he kind of knows what he wants. Out Ricky of life. or Wes Bentley? Ricky. Ricky. Okay. I don't know Wes Bentley. No, I. The, the, it's a you're saying the performance bizarre. Yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of performances. Don't know if they were his choices or if he was directed to do these things. But sure, it sure. Truly, is a, a unique character. It is revolutionary. Not revolutionary, but I've never seen it before in the moment. Yeah. Um, and a very, you know, unusual performance, a lot of unusual yes. choices. So, um, and saddled with some tough scenes to do. And I don't say that in the sense that, uh, that I don't love the script cause I do, but one scene in particular that is that 
now feels some people feel is silly is the plastic bag scene. The plastic bag scene at the time, I remember watching it and loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it's a beautiful scene. I think the mm-hmm. intent of the scene is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with it is that it's been kind of mocked relentlessly and it's cool to mock that moment now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Wes Bentley kills that scene. He's fucking great in it. I could talk about that scene. <laughs> so talk about it. I don't want to shit on that scene. Okay. I'm not going. I'm not going okay. to. It's the easiest fucking thing in the world to take. That's what to, I mean. To take to, to take, take the, the, the most yeah, yeah, yeah. sincere moment yep. in that movie where they put their balls on the line yep. and say this thing is beautiful. Yeah. Um. This unusual thing is beautiful. Yeah. And you know what? And people have stolen from it. It's for the past like you know fifteen twenty years. It's a super interesting choice. I I I think. I mean, I, I still love the scene, but I understand why. People look at that scene and go like, like it's just it's it's like you know people think it's cool to to mock that scene now. I get yeah, it. it's one of those things. It's like you know people look at uh, like a Rothko and say I could do that. My yes. kid could do that. Well, yes. no, you couldn't, and you didn't, and fuck you. And <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't see a paper bag dancing in the wind. Have the guts to point out yeah. that's beautiful and also looks like nothing you've ever seen before. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I actually think that like that. that I hate – like that's the lamest form of, know, of criticism, just like I was shitting just on that scene. I agree no, with No, I'm you. with you, man. I'm with I you. I'm, 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 I just be, think I'm beating up the straw man. I just think that, that Ricky also <laughs> fucking like sets fire to the word Jane and puts it on her front lawn. That's, Don't get that. That's crazy and weird <laughs> and not cool. She loved that. Um, she was totally into that. <laughs> she kind of did. Uh, so I, I kind of want to talk about the, the, the kids for a second, the, th- the three of them Do and it. sort of that dynamic that they have because I think it's – Interesting. I think that so I was watching this with my with my roommate Melissa, and at one point I said, like, would these two girls even be friends? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, that's kind of the point. Like I think they're both kind of losers, you know, in their own very different ways. Yeah. Angela is a loser, uh, just in a in a flamboyantly like I'm totally popular sort of way, but she's not. Like everyone kind of hates her. Um and Jane is definitely a you know misanthrope who just can't seem to fit in and she's just a weirdo kid and can't sort of find her way in the world. So I do think those two people would actually hang out. Ricky's kind of the X factor. Ricky throws the whole thing out of whack, I think in, in, in a way, because now Angela has to compete for Jane's attention and just kind of changes the whole dynamic. But Ricky and Jane's love for each other feels like two kids that are just sort of, they're kind of lost and Mm -hmm. they're misinterpreting their, their, darkness and sadness for love yeah they're both very lonely yeah they're both very lonely yeah. in their house um i just wish there was there's kind of not much more to it than that do you know what i mean like it's sort of am I, I mean do you think that i'm i don't mean to be reductive no but I'm just sort I, of like angela just seems more interesting i guess that. i was willing to kind of just go with that stuff mm-hmm. um because that's not really what the movie's about no i can't um and it's not like particularly important to me Sure. That I buy that relationship. Um, and I think it's, that's a thing. I, get that. I, I think that's a thing. I think it's a thing to just kind of roll with the punches. Well, in high school, to be with someone for, for a couple of weeks and reasons. say, I love this person, yeah. or yeah, for the wrong reasons for yeah. sure. Yeah. Especially, I mean, like, what's more wrong than, I mean, I mean, this, this relationship's built on the wrong reasons. He's filming her and she likes it. Yes. Um, and she likes it because she's getting attention. Yes. And I think, I don't. I, 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 and I think I, she likes Angela because she's getting attention too. It's yeah. just a weird kind of it. So um, Angela's character, 
which starts as bordering on a caricature Mm -hmm, and then evolves into someone that sees her friend, Jane, getting into a relationship that she thinks is toxic, recognizes the problems in this relationship, and then cannot extract her friend from it. Um, And like that scene with the three of them in Jane's room and like Angela's making sense. Like you can't fucking run away with this guy. Like, what are you doing? You're going to New York and he knows drug dealers and you guys will find a place yeah. together. Like it's, it, it's crazy. So like Angela has her wits about her in a way that Jane doesn't. And Ricky doesn't for that matter. He's like, I got $40,000. $40, okay. You're fucked in like a matter of six months. Though right I'm now. kind of with both of them because Interesting. their families are the worst. Like yes, if, we, if, sure, you, if you can sure. buy, if you can buy sure. that Ricky has successfully sold drugs for a long time and has the money and you, you're like, you got to leave these two people. You got to leave Alice and Janney, the only submissive role I've ever seen her in. She's um, so wasted in this, in this movie. It's, it's, she's so it's wasted. weird. It's her. I like, it's just it's weird. It's her, weird. Right? It's her. It, she, it, like it's just two weird. lines. Yeah. It's just weird to see a good actress in that role. Like an actress you, and before she's done anything like incredible. Um, well, she does do the West Wing pilot that year, but we'll just... Yeah, after that. Or before, whatever, but right then, right? Yeah. Um, before, you know, Alison yes. Janney's basically Alice synonymous yes. with, you know, fantastic actress. Yeah. Um, but, so yeah, you got to get... You know, Ricky has to leave that situation. Yeah. And Jane kind of has to leave her situation. Like, those parents are... Those, those are bad think, parents. See, that's, I disagree. I mean, again, I don't mean to be... I don't mean to be glib, but I'm just like... So this comes... This actually... Brings up my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene is uh, Jane comes home, uh, Carolyn comes home, and they almost have sex on the couch. With the beer? With the beer. Because the movie hinges on that scene. If they actually followed through and had sex, I think they might have had a chance. I think that they might have had a chance to – it might have been kicking the can down the road, and I'm not saying they would have been together for 50 years, but – She's attracted to him in that moment. He's attracted to her in that moment. But what a surprise. Who blows it? I know. I, know. I, just, I, I agree. They hate like, Carolyn. What a surprise. <laughs> I know. Who and blows? I, the, and I feel I that. I, I, I like that scene too. But it's just to me, I, you know. I'm, but just. I the think, beard never goes out of the shot. It's weird. Again, but to me, what I love about that scene is like there's just weird little details where he's like. What happened to the girl that used to fake seizures at mm-hmm. frat parties and yeah, flash, flash yeah. uh, uh, helicopters, news helicopters, yeah. helicopters? Like, I'm just like, oh, I, I totally understand why these two are in love. I understand in a, in a span of two minutes, I completely get it. And I, I think love, to myself, though, I love that those two. That's lines what I mean. Brought. That's like, another. Like, that's oh, another. Get it. Yeah, that's another one of those moments when you're 17, sitting in the theater, being like, oh, so they were. Kids once too. Right. They were cool they were fucking once cool. too. Yeah. Like, and that's why I'm like, one of the saddest for Jane moments. to fucking bolt on these two parents that admittedly are going through their own fucking midlife crisis. And, and yes, they're not great parents, but this misanthropic 17 year old girl thinking running away with her drug dealer boyfriend, it's not comparable to Ricky's parental situation is the point I'm trying to make. I, it doesn't, it, I get why she no, it's thinks not. it, but it's just, it's a, it's a false equivalency, but I, it's I, not, I but. If it if it was only the movie, if the movie was only about the Burnhams, yeah. you'd say the Burnhams are one of the most fucked up families <laughs> sure, sure. in movie history. The guy picks sure. up a plate of asparagus, improvised, throws it against the wall, 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, it's weird because I just – I love everything about this movie with the exception <laughs> of its – with the exception of its value system. I, Be, I, I because, don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with I you. I do. I love this movie. But, but I do think the thesis of this movie is um, men should be more manly. And Interesting. I, I think it's men should be more manly. Men should take what they want. Men should stop taking shit from their wives. Um, wow. Okay. I do. I think that that I think I think every, like that's why that scene you're talking about. All right. So when I was a kid, I thought uh, I rule was such a great moment. Right. Yep. Carolyn comes in. He has the mm-hmm. motor. He has the remote control car. He hits her foot. Drives right. it into her foot. He tells her he quit his job. He throws his hand. I told my Bought boss a new to car. fuck up. Yeah. Bought a new car. Yeah. I rule. Yeah. I, as a kid, as a 17-year-old, you know, yeah. budding sure, men's sure. right activist, I <laughs> thought that that was the coolest shit in the world. But I was a dummy. Can I also say something else, though? Yeah. Which actually, I think that Ricky Fitz has so much to do with that. I think that the scene, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene when they're smoking pot out back. With the right? reanimator? I with love the reanimator. It's fucking great. And the laughter is so real, which it, I think it actually was real. And he, Kevin Spacey couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. I think that it's the scene where he fucking quits. Ricky quits right then and there and says, I don't need this fucking job. And Kevin Spacey says, I think you're my hero. Mm -hmm. That's why he does. Like, I think there's so much to that where he's like, he's basically just acting like a fucking teenager. Yeah, but follow that thread through to the end, right? So you follow that thread through through to the end. It actually proves to be his salvation, acting like a teenager, right? Theoretically, yes. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Angela disappears from the second act. Because Evan, because Kevin Spacey, Evan Spacey, Spacey. because Kevin Spacey, lesser known brother, is just getting in shape for her. I know he is becoming he is becoming the kind of guy who can win her over. Right, he's becoming one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you follow that thread to the end. The worst guy in the movie, the the truly the worst guy in the movie that you'd want to be is Ricky Fitz. Um, He's a drug dealing voyeur. Who 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 hates his parents? Who burns people's names on the lawn, and who's willing? Who's who's trying to take a girl away from her family that he mm. really doesn't know that much about? In fact, he kind of yeah. likes the dad and woos girls with Nazi plates. Woos girls with Nazi plates. Questionable. That. And th- by the way, another parent secret. Wait, there are some parents who have Nazi plates. <laughs> oh, this movie is just another thing I didn't tell, know about. Tell parents, me all this yeah. shit. So, so that's Amazing. it. I do. I love this movie, except for. What I what that's, I what I think fair. is is a very 1999 value system, mm-hmm. um, and the reason in the beginning of this podcast I said I think Fight Club is better is because the toxic masculinity is their undoing, sure, and the undoing of the entire city, world. Um, I mean, when, when we do our Fight Club, we will talk about the unfortunate toxic residue of Fight Club on men. And the misappropriation and misinterpretation of that movie, but we can. That's a. That's I haven't for seen that movie day. in a while, but I do. Um, I. Do, I mean, you know, I've seen it. There's a lot of men's rights activists that look at that film and feel like you know the ma- the Matrix is the same way. It's it, what's so interesting. Well, but that's a that's more of a stretch as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I understand that what you're saying is true, but the 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 one to one for Fight Club for men's rights activists, I understand. Like that that movie is just brimming with an attempt of at being sort of like overtly masculine, but or it's whatever. N- but it's not right. So well, we're, we're going to talk about this. Another. Let's let's. It's it's just it's relevant. It's relevant because at this particular moment where we're actually seeing mm-hmm. the effects, mm-hmm. and I I don't I don't love the term toxic masculinity, but it's really just the effects of a of a 
unequal power dynamic sure. between men and women, particularly in the sure. workplace, but also in social situations. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it was discussed and kind of presented to the public in these three movies: American Beauty, The Matrix, and um, and Fight Club. Now, The Matrix is not exactly the same, but the, you know the There's whole. There's a lot of gender fluidity going on in The Matrix. Of course there in, is. In a good way. Of course there is. Just like there's a lot of cautionary tale about toxic masculinity in Fight Club. Like the the, the, the irony yes. of – Yeah. The, the irony of – just like Goodfellas, which is you know one of the greatest movies of all time sure. because the fucking theme of that movie is don't be a mobster. Don't yeah. be a murderer. Except for the assholes that watch that and think, isn't it cool to be isn't a mobster? Isn't it cool to be a mobster, right? <laughs> so – and you know, and I mean yeah. The Sopranos is the same problem and you know sure, – sure. um, I, I mean, you're glorifying it by putting it on a fucking giant movie screen and having people watch it. So that that's just the nature. You're of the always piece. running the risk. Yeah, no, sure, I get that. You're running the risk, and and I could, yeah, I could talk about that for, and we will when we come to our Fight Club episode. But we, uh, but, um, but this is this is part of what this this podcast is about. Like 1999 was a real turning point. It was in culture, uh, in almost every every way. Um, I fully fully agree with you. I think that. Um, I think what this movie also does very well to pivot a little bit, but um, I think it actually tees up the potential of two killers quite well. So the Chris Cooper reveal actually lands really well. I didn't expect it. I did certainly didn't know it was coming at the end of the movie. When he got shot, yes, you didn't know who it was. Did not know who. Okay, it was. I'm not saying I did either, but I I, did I can't not. remember what I, I thought. I definitely didn't know who it was. I imagine that I did not think it was Annette Benning because of the fact that she was holding a gun and walking toward it. It just felt too on the nose, but I didn't know. I certainly didn't put together that he was a repressed homosexual. Um, so the kiss was certainly a surprise. Uh, and then the murder certainly was a surprise as well. So that story, that, that Chris Cooper story worked so much better than I thought it would. It works very well. Oh, it, it's actually crushing. If you if you watch, the it's whole really movie. sad. Yeah, it's, it's it's devastating. Yeah, and it's and I'm thankful that they did two things. The first is that they didn't include the flashback that they talked about of him being in the military and falling in love with another man, and then that guy gets killed, and he feels like it's 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 some sort of uh, punishment for his sins. Yeah, uh, glad that wasn't in the movie. Although I think it's helpful, and Alan Ball has said it was helpful to have that piece of knowledge of the character in the back of my head as I was writing it. And then I also think, like, despite the fact that it does Alice and Janie an enormous disservice, I didn't need a whole bunch of scenes with him and her. You know what I mean? Like, pulling all of her lines uh, makes her more of a painting than a person. Mm -hmm. But uh, it probably is for the best because I think that the movie, which runs pretty long, it's like the two hours, two little, yeah, like, yeah, it, it didn't feel long, but I'm like, I didn't need 15 or eight to 10 minutes or however much of, no. of, of the two of them. You don't want it. It's not what the movie's about. So I think that they did Chris Cooper a real service of like streamlining his character. That being said, can we... Talk? I do have that being said about that too. So you go ahead. Can we talk for a second? Or do you want to talk about that and then we can talk about something else? Uh, I want to make a point about that. Do it. And then I'll talk about another Chris Cooper thing. An unintended, an unintended consequence yes. of that character. Yes. Is that it played into one of the worst stereotypes yeah. in the world. Indeed. Uh, I hate the idea that all homophobes are repressed homosexuals because – Or that they're in the military. Well, yeah, but I, but I hate the idea that all homophobes are, are repressed homosexuals. Sure. Um, because it humanizes them. 
It, no, it does. Yeah, no, it humanizes yeah. them. It's like, oh, no, they're only assholes yeah. because, you know, they, they can't really, you know, uh, engage with their own feelings. That's not necessarily true. Some people are really fucking big assholes and they need to be taken down for being big fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see it sometimes like Larry Craig, the congressman from Idaho who got caught. Yeah, all right, it happens in real life. But most of these people, most of these homophobes are just fucking monsters who need to be Put beaten. in their place, yeah. I don't I mean physically that. beaten. I mean defeated. So Both. I'm not going to be that guy on this inaugural, <laughs> on this podcast. On our inaugural podcast. But um, <laughs> the other thing that I was going to say is uh, how absurd the coincidences are in order for Chris Cooper to think that his son is gay and having yeah. an affair with Kevin Spacey. It's laughable. Yeah. The, the biggest one being that he has to look the through window. the windows yeah. at such a specific degree to think his son is blowing Kevin Spacey. So let's throw that let's let's throw that see let's let's paint paint the picture for for the audience please, who hasn't please. seen it in a while. Yeah. So Chris Cooper is in his son's room, I yes. guess doing some recon or some shit. Breaks into his son's room. Breaks into his son's room. Um which he, you know, has tried to do all yeah, sure. all movie. Sure. And he looks down through the window that we, that's well, been first, a, first, he watches some videotapes that just happen to be... Oh, he watches the, the perfect videotape, videotape. The perfect videotape where Kevin Spacey is doing weird, naked, uh, fucking uh, weightlifting. And there are <clears throat> literally 800 videotapes in there, and he happens to pull out the one with the naked... Mm-hmm. naked Lord knows tape. what the other ones were, though. Just so then, he, seriously, <laughs> I mean... So then he, the uh, then he looks through the window yeah. to see his son yes. go into Kevin Spacey's garage... Yes. And lean over, presumably to count out the marijuana. To, I think it was to roll the joint. I think it was oh, to lick and roll, roll the joint. joint. Oh, yeah, to lick yeah. and roll a joint. And Kevin Spacey sits down on a couch that is blocked <laughs> by a wall with, with, with mirrors on both sides of this wall. And he leans back with his hands behind his head in the classic blowjob receiving classic position. Blow classic. <laughs> the way – It wasn't been there. The only thing you do in that position yeah, – Is you recline like you're on a, some sort of lawn the chair. The classic yeah. blowjob – yeah, If absurd. I were Chris Cooper, I'd think the same thing because – If I saw if I saw that specific oh, he's shit, shirtless, he's shirtless he's too, shirt. by the way. So what would I – of course that's oh what I would God. think that I would go oh and – But then I would go and try to kiss – Kevin Spacey too, which is the only. Sure. Here's the thing, though. If if all of these things happened, and then he made the leap, um, it's the scene with Ricky that where Ricky confirms it, sort of in a sarcastic tone that but his enough. father takes yeah. for real. Which is a because Ricky sees it as a way out, and he's like, "Fuck it, this is I'm going to pull the ripcord. I'm going to get out of this relationship with my father by pretending to be gay." Um, there is a phenomenal shot in that, though, where Ricky's camera captures – his camera's attached to his TV. Mm-hmm. So Jane across the street visually gets to see the father beating the shit out of his yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really cool sort of dynamic that they've created or, you know, just the, the visuals of it are interesting. They do it a couple times with that big TV. With the big TV. Just in terms of Jane being able to see really what's going on, yeah. which I thought was actually kind of cool. Um, but that scene is absurd. But, I mean – I don't know. I, that, that, that's the only that's the only beef I have with the Chris Cooper stuff is that there's a little bit of contrivances to get us where it's got to be for the end. Yeah, it's 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 all a little contrived, but it does kind of certainly works work as a B story. And, um, so, what are your thoughts on the montage at the end about how the film actually concludes? Well, obviously, I'm bothered by it. You know, I, I'm 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 bothered by the. I'm speaking of his actual murder. 
and like the the black and yeah, white you cut and to the, all the and people, the, but the then people. you also you also have Kevin Spacey saying, you know, yeah. I think of Jane, and you know, I think of Carolyn, and you have the stuff at the. It's 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 the the it's the the voiceover of a guy who's figured it all out. Yeah. So that's what I mean. That's 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 where I mm-hmm. that I think the the movie is laying out its closing argument at that point. That Kevin Spacey over the course of this year, and it takes place over a year of his life, mm-hmm. has figured it out. Stop working your dead end job. Yeah, yeah. Stop taking shit from your wife. Yeah. Start, you know, living for yourself. Get in. I don't know what the fuck else it is, but, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think that I think that this. There's one other quote from this Roger Ebert review that I think sums yeah, oh, yeah. up a lot of what you were saying. Um, Roger Ebert says he does – Lester does reckless and foolish things in this movie, but he doesn't deceive himself. He knows he's running wild and chooses to, burning up the future years of his empty lifetime for a few flashes of freedom. He may have lost everything by the end of the film, but he's no longer a loser, which I think is an interesting interpretation of it. Um, but it does sort of tap into what you're saying here, Kenny, this idea that, like, he figured it all out. He beat the system. He got – killed but he had a good run and he had a good year mm-hmm. and he almost fucked a teenager so everyone wins which which is a little bit uh, i have a problem with it a little bit but i would also say too that as i was watching it i thought to myself for a movie that doesn't resolve or have any consequences for the murder of this man so we don't we don't see that chris cooper goes to jail we don't see that the, like there's there's no re- resolution to this man's murder mm-hmm. somehow they find a way to wrap up the movie in a satisfying way, that's kind of, that, that is an impressive feat to a certain extent. Because I was thinking to myself as I was watching it, like, wait a second. So Chris Cooper just gets away with just cold-blooded murder? Maybe. And, well, I'm, okay, sure. It's a little bit – there's a little bit of an ellipse, but they do a good job, I think, by first of all showing us where everybody was, which I thought was a cool mm-hmm. little device. Yeah. I liked the black and white shots as cheesy as they might be. I liked it. I liked his final monologue talking about how, you know, it's – how it stretches on forever and this idea of like seeing his life. And there's a, there's a very nice sort of spiritual but not religious connotation to the way that the film ends, which I thought was really lovely and worked for me. So ultimately, considering that they found an ending in the editing room for all intents and purposes, I thought mm-hmm. they did a really good job. That's the weird kind of taste this movie leaves in your mouth, which is it's a satisfying movie. Yeah. You – I don't I, – I, I, you know, I don't mean to contradict everything I've said, but you are with Kevin Spacey the whole time. He is – it, he is well motivated. Mm-hmm. You do understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And again, I have a lot of problems with the you know the value system of this movie. But you're there, and at the end, I don't know. It does kind of tie up in a way where you you do you do walk out of the theater or, or turn off the TV in our case, um, feeling like you watched a, a, a full completed movie, a full completed thought. On top of that, so it, it's it's interesting in that regard. I think yeah. I think it's an interesting movie for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and I think that I still kind of love it. I, I don't, I, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. It is complicated. It's more complicated for me now than it was when I was 19. I'm a different person now. We're in a different time now. I think that this movie for us to be watching this with Harvey Weinstein and any number of other people, it, it certainly changed the way that I saw this movie, saw it through a very different prism. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, weirdly the film was able to kind of 
find a way through it for me. So, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I really did. I really thought when we chose this movie. Yes. <laughs> I thought that this movie, and I also think there's been some, some serious reappraisal by the critic community of this movie. And not in a positive way. Not in a positive way. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think people look back at this movie yeah. and they say uh, it has not aged well and, you know, all the things I'm saying basically. But I do think that ultimately yeah. it's a, it's actually significantly better than people give it credit for these days and significantly more important. Um, I fully, fully agree with you. Yeah. And, and, and it is an interesting little time capsule of where our minds were at that point. Absolutely. It's also – there's an article that I should have sent you and I don't know why I didn't. But um, someone compiled a, an article of like the top 10 movies that it's cool to, to shit on now. Yeah, I think I saw that. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you did. Um, and was it was it number one? I actually no, didn't. It was I like just saw three. The, I just saw the title. But I saw yeah. the list. I went through, I scrolled through the list and, and movies like Juno were on there. Very cool to shit on. Very cool to shit on that yeah. movie now. Little Miss Sunshine was on Super, there. These are all the fucking – they're all earnest. I know. They're all fucking – Contemporary? Yeah. No, really. They, th- those are the easiest movies to shit list. on. Earnest contemporary movies that that were nominated for Oscars, more or less, nominated for Best Picture, and you, I mean, and, and that weren't really dealing with um, with big issues, right? Yeah. I mean, at least at least overtly dealing with big issues. Um, I can't find this list. It's not worth doing right now. But um, I, I, but I, I do think know a little bit. Of Sunshine Tweet. Those you are two, those two, two perfect examples, movies, right? Yeah. Um, so. I want to talk about Annette Benning for a quick second here because I know that she, she is short shrift. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, – it's you have enlightened me on that regard. I came into this thinking that I that I really loved the role and now I've just left it thinking that I really love Annette Benning in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's great. I think that uh, – I, I, I loved her too. I kind of wish she won as – and well, let's, let's see what happens when we get to that. Movie. We have to. We have to. Re- we do need to rewatch yeah. Boys Don't Cry, um, and we'll have a, a, a very interesting discussion. At about the end that, of sure. this whole thing, yes, we should do our re-Oscars. Absolutely, we're, yeah. that's what we're with going nom- to do with nominations, with, with proper nominations. Five yeah. nominees, none of this like fucking up to ten or whatever. Like we're going to do. Wow, I can't wait. We're going to do our Oscars. Maybe we'll do ten. Who knows? Maybe we'll do ten. We'll see. But. Um, as great as Hillary Swank is, and I don't, again, I haven't watched Boys Don't Cry since 99. So you're right. I might watch that movie again and be like, fuck, she was great. And she she was great in 99. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Annette Benning. I think I'm also just sore from her not being nominated for 20th Century Women, which I fucking love that movie. Great movie. One of my, that was my favorite film of last year, and she was robbed of a nomination. Yeah. And I feel like she just kind of continues to get robbed. And it's just I like. I think she's a lot better in 20th Century Women than I think she is in this. Absolutely. I think it's a more dimensional yeah. character. So. Phil, on, on our scale, well, I, on our scale, zero to 99. Yeah. Phil, I'm going to let you go first on this one. <laughs> well, wow. How do you rate American uh, Beauty? Okay. Well, American Beauty in 99, I mean, honestly, it's it's it, it might have been a 99. Yeah, in the 90s. In yeah, for sure. I mean, I adored it when it came out. It was just, you know, it, it felt like such a movie of its moment. Um. And it, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't. Um, it, it sort of really hit a vein for me in terms of the type of movies that I was hoping to make. You know what I mean? And the type of movies that I was hoping to write. So, mm-hmm. that being said, uh, 
the, the movie has over the years, and I wouldn't even just say now, but like over the years has kind of dropped in my esteem a little bit just because um, of the things that, you know, we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that I'd probably still, I think it's still in the 80s for me. I think it, it might, it might be like an 80, I think is where I'm, 79, 80 is okay. where I'm at right now, I think. All right. Let's, maybe maybe I'm a little I'm being a little too kind. Let's to it. call it an eighty. Um, I'm going to go with um, it's. I, I'm not that much lower than you. Mm. I mean, I, I I'm giving it a sixty-five. That's a lot lower than me, Kenny. It's That's, not uh, much lower. You know, you're still you're. you're in, I think you're B minus C. I think at that point, is that where you're at? Six. Well, looks. We're talking about like school grades. That's that's a that's, D, a that's a D minus and an F at some places, but that's not really what we're doing here. This is six out of ten, right? We're 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 living wow. in a world okay. where we're living in a world where like thirties are possible, where tens are possible. Like that's not really what I'm working on with the, the right the, the A B C scale. I think I'm it's saying, interesting that you that you backed me into an eighty. I could say seventy nine, but you like the eighty because of the discrepancy between just, yours just the way, and mine. Just the first, sure. thing, just first thing you said. Sure. Um, <laughs> I think, and I think sixty. And honestly. <coughs> 65 to me is a good grade for a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's not a great grade, but it's a good grade. It's a good movie. I what want did it. you, what, what was it in 99? Is the same, question. same with you. Okay. 99. I mean, just, I'm just, I okay. couldn't imagine it being anything other than like a, a 90, you know, 90, 99, 97, yeah. 98, 99. Yeah, 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 you know, there are a yeah. few movies here. The movies that were on our top 10 list, mm -hmm. um, in general yeah. are 90. Five and up. I mean, there's yeah. a reason we chose this year. It's the best year ever, and there's so many movies that are so incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie, no longer among them, in my opinion, I still a very worthwhile movie, and I enjoyed doing this. Um, next week is a movie that I am less less excited about. I'd say. Interesting. I yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, I uh, I hadn't seen this movie or haven't seen this movie in a very long time. Uh huh. When I saw it in the theater, I thought it was not great. Yeah. But Phil has assured me it is. Good. I quite liked it when it came out. I think I saw it twice in the theater. I uh, could be wrong. I don't know. That sounds like torture. The movie is that's ridiculous. Ron Howard's reality TV opus, Ed TV. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, brothers, mm -hmm. uh, in the film. True Detective season zero. Season zero. Uh, they do kind of feel like brothers from another mother. Totally. Um, yeah. So that, that, that feels you know, like Jenna Elfman, Ellen DeGeneres, before she became, friends. you know. We'll see. We'll see how this movie holds up. Yeah. Um, this is this is what we do in this podcast. We this review every single movie of 99, yeah. and sometimes we'll take the lumps for you. Oh, brother. Okay. So I think what they say at the end is something like rate and review. Yeah, just and, know, check it out. Yeah, check it out. It'll be, Give us a five, I think. Get a, five would be great. If you know someone who makes those editors list, tell them about it. That would be fantastic. Uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to have your love. Phil is active on Twitter at... I am. I am active on Twitter at uh, P.M. Iskov. I'm also you, on... You want to spell that one? P-M-I-S-C-O-V-E. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm also uh, I'm also on Instagram under that uh, handle, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm private on Instagram. It's pictures of my kids. You can't see them. Um, and uh, I have no children. I have a dog. <laughs> and um, I, am, I am not active on Twitter, but I am at Nybart. N-E-I-B-A-R-T. Feel free to follow me. If I get a lot of followers, maybe I'll start being active. And uh, Don't hold your breath. Don't. Yeah, no. I'm going to get like no more followers because <laughs> are people going to listen yeah. to this? But, I, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully. I mean, we're people not we in, know. We're idea. not in it for the listeners. We're in it for the conversation. We are. Because yep. we don't – because Kenny and I – I mean, I have a job. Kenny has a job. 
Sometimes. We don't hang out that much. Yeah. We, we wish we could hang out more. So we'll see you next week. For Ed TV. For Ed TV. All right. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.